called Transforming Grace. And if I sound funny, am I, if, I, if I'm mispronouncing words, I had a few stitches put in my tongue this last week uh, from the dentist. You know, I love my dentist. So if I'm slurring, I, I did not drink wine this morning. I did, not, I did not indulge in the alcohol this morning. It's just my tongue has a hard time pronouncing certain words. So please bear with the mispronunciation of, your, of certain words. You might be like, oh, I'm going to put that on the comment card. <laughs> so just, if you can show me some grace, that would be awesome. So transforming grace, we have covered quite a few things with understanding grace. We know that we are all deeply sinful people and we cannot take a shallow view of our sin. That would be a mistake because you would never understand grace. But yet on the other hand, we have an incredibly loving, merciful, kind God who freely extends forgiveness of sins. That, that just that counterbalance is what helps us understand how we can truly be transformed. Now, there are some if clauses in the scriptures, meaning they're conditional. Meaning, just because you have grace doesn't mean you can live a reckless lifestyle. There is a sense of, because I am saved by grace, I want to honor God. Because I'm saved, I want to I do noble things. Because I'm saved, not to get saved, because we can never earn our way into heaven, but we can respond with a grateful heart in what we do. This next part of the series is about our relationships, okay? And Jesus teaches us, if you look in your Bibles in Matthew 18, on how to handle relationships that from time to time go sideways. You ever had that? Ever had a relationship go sideways? Now, I'm not talking about your spouse too, but your spouse is sideways all the time in a sense. But I'm talking about just relationships at work, in the church, wherever you're at. Sometimes relationships can go sideways. And our response to how we handle that kind of pain, that kind of of trauma. In Matthew 18, um, we're going to talk about the parable of the unmerciful servant. But before that parable happens, Jesus gives us some instructions on how to handle relationships. We go to the person. We don't go to Facebook. We go to the person. We don't rant on Facebook about somebody. We go to the person and say, hey, look, uh, can we work this out? Okay, we're having trouble working this out. Let's get some more people involved that are unbiased that can help us both out. Because, you know what, we want to love each other. We want to get resolved. It's not like, I'm going to get my guy, and you get your guy, and then we're going to duke it out again. That goes nowhere. Okay, we want unbiased spiritual people that can help us resolve because we want to be unified and close again. So he goes through that, and then he gives you a parable. About the unmerciful servant. And um, we all have past hurts. We all have been hurt. That is a fact. I know that about you, and you know that about me. You either are either past it, meaning I was hurt last year. I moved on. Or you're in the middle of it right now. Like, I'm hurt. Or you're going to have it. It's coming. If it's not, if not in the past, if it's not today, it's coming. So, and, and there are different levels of hurt. There's mild hurt, there's moderate, and there's severe. So, you know, you ever go to the hospital, they always ask that question, how does it hurt? And they always show you this little sign here. Yeah. Yeah. They show you, if you're in the medical field, you know this sign. I, you know, I hurts a little bit, number four. Number, number eight, like you're hurting. Number ten, like this is catastrophically hurt. And there are different levels. And that chart will let you know where you're at. And so because of this chart, 
we can tend to respond differently. You know, if I'm just the number one, I'm not hurt, or number two, I'm a little bit hurt, right? I can move on, it's no big deal. It doesn't really affect our relationship. Yeah, I didn't really, eh, I can move on. But when you get to eight and nine and ten, oh boy, oh brother, the oh brother, where art thou? That's, that's, a, that's a situation. And uh, it's an important aspect to understand about how we can treat each other when we have conflict. Mm. Look in your, in your Bibles in, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Uh, I will... Uh, just keep your, keep, your, keep your finger there because I'm going to go over a few scriptures here. It says, um, I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in you, in your hearts, through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may you know, come to know God in His ways. Oh, what a great scripture. Now, as we look at verse 21 in your Bibles, um, we will look back at this scripture again. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive someone who sins against me? Up to seven times? It's funny how, you know, Peter is like, I want to talk about how they sinned against me. Not me against them. That's not a conversation I want to have with Jesus. I want to talk about how they hurt me. So seven times when Peter is, is taking a, a leap of faith in front of Jesus, showing off, because in, in the rabbi's teaching in, in that time, uh, really the, 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 the amount of times you can forgive someone and wash your hands of them was three times. Three times. You have three, three offenses. One, two, three. Three sexual California rule. Right. So Peter's saying, I'm going to go, I'm going to double that plus one. Seven times, Lord. Amen. Amen, Jesus. Amen. And Jesus responds with this. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus is trying to tell Peter, it's a long time coming when you can end your stance of only three, only seven. He says, it's going to be perpetual. Why? Because you are dealing with relationships and they're constantly exposed and they're constantly traumatized by people hurting you. It's constant. Every day you can be hurt. Every day you can be offended. Every day you can have an attitude towards someone very easily. And so Jesus wants us to understand. He, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. It's a classic saying of, 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 for Jesus to tell us, don't hold grudges. Don't hold grudges. Because true repentance involves turning from sin. And Jesus was teaching about an unlimited amount of time. Because he's setting up the parable. He's setting up our human nature is that we have a limit to how much pain that we're willing to endure from someone else. We have a limit. And so that is our nature. Okay? So, so being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You know, a lot of times in how we understand our relationships, it's, we have limits because we don't understand how deep, how wide is the love of Jesus toward us. We forget that. And so, 
we understand that with God, we want unlimited forgiveness. But it's weird. With each other, you have three chances, brother, or I'm going to stamp you with no fellowship. <laughs> Give you the no... People walk around with NF on there, no fellowship. They're going, why is no one talking to me? You know? No, we just stamped them. And we ignore them. Okay? And so Jesus is trying to get us to understand how deep and how wide we have to go to the well. We have to go to overcome. We have to really understand this part. Because love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. You saw God blots out our transgressions, meaning He legally removes them, but He also says, I'm not going to use it against you. So when you see God, He's not going to, he's not going to bring up your path against you to make a case. He is blotting them out. He is keeping no record of wrong. Does He remember? Yes, but He doesn't use them against you. It's the same in relationships. But, Gio, Gio, you know, this guy's person's always sitting against me, and I got to and I have to have boundaries. I read the book Boundaries, right? I read the book, right? Yeah, amen. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And how to manage that relationship. How to, how to work with that person. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Yeah, there are some relationships that, are, that, that almost are, feel like they're attacking all the time. And so you need wisdom in how to manage that relationship. How to keep the love but manage that that conflict. They manage it when it comes up. Okay, I'm going to manage it. I want knowledge. I want depth of insight. I want to understand more. Versus just cutting them off when they annoy you. Cutting them off when they hurt you. So this is the parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, it's millions of dollars, was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. That is the situation. An unpayable debt that a servant owes the king. This wasn't just a servant. This was kind of like a, you know, a king doesn't really deal with the, with the commoner. He deals with someone in charge of something, like a governor or a magistrate. He deals with someone who has the skill, who has the ability to lead. This is a person of talent. But yet he finds himself in this parable indebted to something he cannot repay. Ever been in a situation where you got to go to the DMV? And you're not, this is not going to be good. Yeah. It's not good. No, good, good, good. And you're hoping in the back of your heart going, will they show mercy? And usually they don't. It's cut. It's like, you're, nope. It's, it, is, it is by the book. You are in violation. Where's your SR-22? They start asking all kinds of stuff. You're like, uh, uh, give me your license. It's been revoked. They do that all the time. I have, I've had my license revoked as a college student twice. They, I went pleading and I fell, fell out. Please, I need my car to drive to school. Poof, give it. No soup for you. That's a reference to Seinfeld, if you... Know what that means? The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. He begged, and I will pay back everything. That's a ridiculous statement, knowing the fact he owes millions of dollars, right? You, you, you know, when you want forgiveness, you fall on your knees. You beg. You start. Say, I, your heart is. I want to make it right. 
I may not have the resources, but I want to make it right. The servant's master took pity on him. He fell on his knees. He begged. The king shows pity. You know, a lot of times I don't, I don't approach the situation like that. I'm usually standing up and my chest is out. I'm like a rooster. You made me mad. Let me tell you what you did to me. Yeah, I messed up. I messed up. I can say I messed up. But what you did. I get the rooster out, right? Let's talk about what you did. Because if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have got all crazy. Right? Instead of begging, instead of going, falling on his knees, a, a posture of humility, saying, I want to make this right. I, I, I want to be in a relationship. Our rooster comes out. And we start talking about what they did to us. And it's all we want to focus on. And so, because he didn't choose that route, he chose the humble route, the master goes, I shall pay He canceled the million, million dollar debt and let him go. Astonishing. So if you're listening to this parable, you're going like, what? That's crazy. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Peanuts. Peanuts. A day's wage. No big deal. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Payback. What you owe me, he demanded. His posture was different. He was humble with the king. He begged. He wanted mercy. He got it. And then he turns around and goes to the guy who owes him a few bucks. And he demanded, pay back what you owe me. Let me uh, refer to my notes for a second here. Because this is an important part. His fellow servants went out and saw this. He saw the man beg, I'll pay you back. Be patient. Uh, similar language that he asked the king. Similar language. Hey, I'll pay you back. I'll make it right. He wants to keep the relationship. But he refused. You ever refuse someone's mercy? Just think about your marriage for a second. I mean, I, I show up my marriage for a second. There are times when Karen, I, there was a fight. We're both guilty as charged. She comes, shows mercy, but I'm still, I refuse to get resolved right now. I do that. I'm not like, you know, I'm, I'm in the garage ignoring her in my little funny little man cave. And Karen comes and humbles from time to time, but I'm not ready to be humble right now. Even though she's apologized and, you know, she's, hey, I want to restore the relationship. I'm still, I'm not ready to apologize. And when I'm ready, I will speak with you. I don't say it like that, but that's how I act. Right? I act all, like, I don't know, I'll give like a, like a, okay, that's fine. I, I forgive you. I'll be sarcastic. I'll be something that really says to her that I'm not ready yet. And then she goes back and she's more discouraged. You ever done that? Where someone comes to you and is humble... And you're just not ready yet. And we hide behind that, I'm not ready yet. You know, the parable doesn't, doesn't, doesn't use that. Well, he wasn't ready, so we gotta, we got to understand it. It's called the unmerciful servant. That's the parable. Because in our nature, in our nature, we want justice to be served. Actually, that's a fingerprint of the Lord God, His DNA inside of you. Whenever you're hurt, you want it to be corrected. Why is that? Because God is in you. 
Because every sin that you commit, God says, that needs to be, there needs to be some justice. And that's the whole purpose of Jesus. So there's a fingerprint of God in your soul. You want to get revenge for that. That's wrong. Exactly how God feels when you sin every time. But thank goodness Jesus comes and gives you that, I'll take that for him, God. And you get to have that grace. That's why it's transforming. Okay? So, when the servants saw this, what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. You know, people can sometimes see what your relationships are like and they get very concerned. You know, when, when Karen and I are getting along, guess who knows? Number one, the children know. The atmosphere in the house, just gets, all the joy gets sucked out of the room. It becomes tense. It becomes quiet. It becomes eggshells. There are eggshells everywhere. And the kids are like, I don't want to crack one because dad may crack me. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> everyone's, everyone's, dad's, dad's intense, mom's intense. And the kids understand, whoa, there's something going on around here. They know. And sometimes the kids will go, Lord, help my parents, right? <laughs> sometimes they'll go, have you called the burns or the revisos, you know? So they know and they start asking questions. Are you guys going to invite the revisos over or the burns over? They know. They know the drill. When we're having trouble, you call someone in. They're going, you better call because it's intense, Dad. Right? That's the message we're sending. It's pretty intense. You better get some help over here. Here's a, here's a video I want to show you about the pain that you can feel. And I saw this the other day and I, I was impacted by it because, I and mean, I was challenged by it because I don't know if I would respond this way, to be honest with you. It would take a deep understanding for me to get where this man arrived. And it challenged me to my core. And I wanted to show it to you as a little sharing. If you get the lights, hit the lights down. Renee, if you get the lights there as well. Play that video, Lynn. Yeah, I'm trying. Chris Williams, C-H-R-I-S-W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S. On February 9th, 2007, my family was hit by a drunk teenage driver. Killed in that accident was my wife, Michelle, who was expecting our fifth child. And then my second oldest son, Benjamin, and my only daughter, Anna. Now, it was a Friday night like any other in our family. It was full of fun. We got out to dinner as a family. My oldest son was off with friends. I saw a pair of headlights coming at me at incredibly fast rate of speed, so as I tried to do some Maneuvers to get out of the way, it was, it was too late. We were hit, put outside of T-Bone. Because I surveyed the scene um, and saw my wife, I saw her chest go down in her last breath. Leave uh, her body that I wanted to cry out for her to come back. And the next sound I heard was of me wailing and grieving the fact that they were gone. And out of body experiences I could have listening and realizing that I was the one making that sound. I've never felt so uh, vulnerable in my life. I've never been, felt so crushed um, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. If you have a teenager out past midnight, you don't like to receive a call. 
I got up and took the phone, and on the other end of the line, a man identified himself as uh, being from the Salt Lake City Police Department. Told us that he had our son Cameron. Told us that Cameron was intoxicated, that uh, he'd been in an accident, but he was okay. And he told us as a result of the accident that three people had been killed. Sam was the child who had survived. So we went up to the university hospital where Chris's family uh, were there. Even at that moment, you know, we're all, we're all blubbering and crying. And Chris is laying on the, uh, the gurney in an egg brace. And one of the first things he asks is, how was the young man who was driving the other car? For the first few months after the accident, I felt, I think it was just the initial shock, that such a huge part of my life was now gone. And that's a very difficult thing to go through, to kneel down and desire to speak to my Father in Heaven when I'm so lonely or when I'm so anguished. It's an interesting conversation to have. You know, he doesn't immediately uh, try and make it better. He listens to me first. And I thought that was very helpful. He allowed me to get that anger off my chest. But inevitably, he would always come back and teach me about his son, Jesus Christ. When I did feel anger, or there was just a deep sense of loneliness, I didn't direct that at the person that had caused this. It directed itself at the Savior. As I looked out the driver's window and saw the overturned car that had hit us and struck us, I, in my heart, I didn't know, and in my mind, I didn't understand or comprehend still how it had happened, uh, or who had done it to us, or what the circumstances were. The only thing I remember feeling and sensing is that I needed to let this go. There's Jesus' way to resolve problems, to address situations, to handle uh, sorrow. And then there's some other way. It's something that I think Chris clued into early in life. And so when the moment came for him in that car, sitting there, I believe he had made the decision long ago what he would do if he was ever in that situation. About a year ago, Chris and, and Cameron met for the first time and taught. The first time that I met him, I was in a room and he walked in and he had a big smile on his face. And I had no smile because I, I'm facing the man, you know, that I had done this to. He came and he gave me a handshake. He was completely willing to talk about what had happened that night, how he felt about it. Chris was able to say things that Cameron needed to hear. And he didn't mince words. He let him know how he was feeling, what it meant. He wants me to let go of what had happened. He wants me to pick a date and forget what had happened, just move on from what had happened completely. There's no way to explain it. It's, it's, it's an overwhelming feeling of, of thankfulness, of gratefulness, of strength to, to see him and, and to see how he's acted in this situation. After we went to the funeral, one of our neighbors that was at the funeral came up to us and said, have you read the article about Chris? And it was his article about forgiveness. 
my feeling was is that I was just completely overcome with, it was like being washed out, the despair was being washed out from my soul. And knowing that somebody like that could so freely forgive, just, it was freeing to me to know that he could respond in that fashion. The thought and sentiment I expressed as I sat down with Cameron was simply this, that if through the forgiveness or through anything else he had seen or heard about me doing after the accident, that he should know it was merely the Savior working through me. I had merely put myself in a situation to be a vessel through which the Spirit, through which his example, through which his knowledge, his intelligence, his brilliance could shine. That's really all I had to do, was to not get in the way of that. I wanted him to understand that I really didn't have much to do with any of the goodness that has come out of that. It's become more significant to me, the fact that he had forgiven me. And I know that's because he knows and he has a, a testimony and a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm grateful that God allows tragedies and trials to occur in our lives. Not because they're easy or because they're desired, but because they help us love. And that too was a wonderful blessing because I saw my brother. Coming to know a man of sorrow and one who is acquainted with grief. As I've now come to understand it, it's really why I was sent here. And it has been incredibly difficult to have to learn those lessons in the way that I've learned them. But I've always ended those episodes of grief with an assurance and a hope that one day, perhaps, I will see him as he is. One day, hopefully, I will be like him. And one day, I will be with my wife again, as well as the rest of my family. tears from your eyes now that was something that I saw that really moved me and there are a couple things in, in that testimony that he shared that really stung me was you know the, the trials and pain that we experience and how he reacts to them as more of a vessel God wants us in, in a sense to understand that people will never know the love of God if they don't see it through us that's why the transforming grace which this man has attained was able to transform a tragedy into hope. And that is very challenging. You know, the man fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all your debt. I canceled all your debt because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Are you aware of your subtle ways of taking revenge? Are you, are you aware of your subtle ways taking revenge. 
I withdraw. I withdraw from you. That's my subtle way. Others will be little. Others will hold a grudge. Others will suppress. Because there's a real feeling of outrage inside of us when we're hurt. And it's sometimes to the point where you lose control. You know, I, 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 my picture of that happening in my family is not this, this ending. My, that picture I have in my, my head with, that happens to me, I'm choking someone to death. That's the picture I have. That's why this challenged me so much. That's why it, it, it broke me. Because that's not how I view the story in my life. Someone's going to die. Someone's got to pay. And what shook me was, his understanding is, he, he is a vessel that God works through. That's why I wanted to share it with you. That's why I wanted to show it to you. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or a sister from the heart, from your core. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. God is very demanding of this. He wants us to understand, to get this. To really get this. But our relationships. Because nothing crushes a parent more than watching their two sons or two children go at each other's throat. There is nothing more aggravating than that. When you see your children fight with each other. It pains the parents beyond understanding. You get so angry at that, right? Stop treating each other that way. This is why he says, I pray out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you'll be rooted and established in love. How deep, how wide God's love is. That's why that man was able to do what he was able to do. When I withdraw, what I must do is engage. My subtle way of withdrawing needs to be one of engaging. If you're one who belittles through humor, be humble. Don't belittle. Be humble. If you're one who holds a grudge, let it go. Let that go. If you're one who suppresses process, there's a process of getting that out. You know, what I liked about the video was that he engaged that man in jail. And they had a heart-to-heart talk. And he was able to say what he needed to say. It wasn't like, oh man, I mean, he was able to say the difficult things. I don't know what he said, but I can't imagine what he said to that young man who killed his wife, his child, and his, and, uh, his two children, and the baby to be born. Again, my story, my vision of my life prior to watching that video was like, I'm paying the guard up a hundred bucks for five minutes of him in the room. Let me at this cat. I'm going to show him what's up. That's my nature. And for some of you, that's your nature. But every time we go to God, when we want mercy on our 
debt of sin. And you have a lot. And I have a lot. We want God to show mercy. But when our own companion, co-worker, friend, someone, family, spouse, child, disciple, member of the church, you name it, hurts you at a 9-10, we change. We change. We want to take revenge. And that is why this parable is so powerful and challenging to you and to me. This is the essence of what a follower of Jesus is. To to have the heart to show someone else mercy. Not at level 1 or 2 when it's really easy. Oh, I forgive you, but don't worry about it. Level 9 and 10 where it cuts you and hurts you to your core. That's when your true colors come out. That's why that video was so powerful. That's why I was so moved by it. That's why I was so challenged by it. Because God wants us to be merciful people. Because we serve a merciful God. Because we serve a God that is willing to forgive, forget, not hold against us, not hold a grudge against us and what we did to His Son. That's the power of transforming grace. And when you understand that, there is nothing that anyone can do to you that will harm that relationship you have with God. Because that's what harms it. We want to be close to God, but it gets affected by our relationships down here. And so when we're hurt here, we're expecting to have this awesome relationship, but God says, no, 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 no. It has to be this way and this way. Otherwise, it does not work. Otherwise, that you cannot be my vessel. You cannot, you will not see Jesus in you. That is what transforming grace does. Thank you for your time.